0: Hello, dear Yakub. how are you doing? Okay, thank you. It's good to have you here. Thank
1: you, thank you, thank you. It's pretty late at night, I guess, where you are.
0: Yeah, it is 11 in the night. So in uh, winter days, it's almost, it's really almost midnight.
1: Okay, it's a little earlier over here in Israel. It's just 8 o'clock
0: at nighttime. Yeah, ah, that's great. That's great. How are you doing nowadays?
1: Okay, okay, um, it's a, this, you know, being at home a lot is a mixed blessing with the virus and everything. I my shop opens a few hours in the afternoon and some people come by, things are pretty quiet. And I'm able to focus on projects. Uh, we have a Hebrew translation of uh, Hafiz, the Persian Sufi poet, uh, yeah. coming out soon. So I've been very busy with that lately so there is what to do,
0: yeah uh, I got to know about your shop that uh, there is a it was in, uh, it was kind of informal uh, introduction that there is a Sufi bookshop in Jerusalem and there is a Jewish Sufi who is running this with very great motivation and with, with a deep love with Sufism so I got interested in that, and then I discussed it with my friends, and then I got connected with you, and requested you to appear in my podcast. Uh, let's begin from the story where it begins. Uh, where you born? How you raised up? And how you got interested in uh, Sufism?
1: Okay, I'd be happy to. Word about my bookshop. The, the adjective that I'm used to using for my bookshop is the spiritual bookshop. Hmm. And uh, I was living in Canada before I came to Israel in Winnipeg, Canada. And I opened yeah. a spiritual bookshop with a couple of friends there. And we had a Jewish section and a Sufi section and a lot of Buddhism and yoga, etc., and New Age. And that was the basic idea for my bookstore here, except that uh, there would be an emphasis on the Jewish section and also the Sufi section. Hmm. Uh, both because of my personal interest and because we're here in Israel, mm. and also a small Christian section. Uh, mm. So uh, those things are important. Um, the New Age was much bigger some years ago than it is today, I would say. But uh, okay, etc. So that's just a little bit about my bookshop. Um, mm. Yeah. Okay. You that want about to know your yeah. life?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I want to know everything. <laughs>
1: Okay. So, I was born in a very warm Jewish home in uh, Brooklyn, New York. My parents, I would say, were seekers. They both came from modern religious families, mm-hmm. and they were the the Jewish seekers in each, in each of their respective families. They, Before I was born, they were recruited to help in the War of Independence of Israel in 1948, and they came to Israel to help. And they made a very wise, uh, calculation I think that being as they weren't Orthodox Jews and they weren't secular just secular Zionists mm-hmm. or something that they should come back to America that they mm-hmm. could do their spiritual search their mm-hmm. religious search in Judaism in America much better in those days than in Israel because in Israel it was either or um, and this is something I've also noticed about Turkey in particular which is a country I feel a strong connection to this kind of, I call it schizophrenia, between secular and religious. People tend to be either or, although both, both streams are very important for many of us and have mm. contributions to make. Um, so that's just a little bit of general background. Mm. And my mother was a Bible teacher, uh, studying archaeological perspectives, historical perspectives, literary perspectives from rabbinic literature. But basically, seeing in the Bible stories uh, very human stories about our own search, and uh, she was a wonderful teacher. She, I went to a Jewish day school, and she was actually brought in as a special teacher when I was in seventh and eighth grade. I was my great delight to be able to formally study with my mom, mm. and my dad in those years became convinced that he wasn't satisfied just being a businessman, and mm. he went back to he went to rabbinical school and he became ordained as a rabbi. In those days, people in their 30s with a family didn't do that, but he did Hmm. and uh, had a congregation in Connecticut for 11 years. And then they came back to Israel in 1976, the same summer that I came here searching for a spiritual master. So this just brings us back a little bit to my story.
0: So um, So you came to Israel to uh, search a spiritual master?
1: Yeah. Um, before that, I was before a couple of communities. There was an alternative. I'm talking the, the early 70s, very much in the spirit of the mm. 60s. Uh, Bob yeah. Dylan and the Beatles were very much in the air, you know, and San Francisco scene, all of that. And um, there was a wonderful alternative Jewish community in Boston, Chabura, which was kind of spiritually oriented and very open-ended. But they were all graduate students, and I was a college dropout. Mm. I was trying to follow Tim Leary, turn on, um, tune in, dropout. So I'm here for the revolution. Where, where sign me up? Where do we go? So mm. in Boston, there was a while I was working for an organic bakery and hanging around the Kabura. And but they were academics, and I we, I could speak with them, but I I was trying to avoid going to college. Mm. Then I jacked out to the west coast. And I hung around with the Shlomo karlbach community, House of Love and Prayer, and they were making a wonderful synthesis of kind of hippie culture, macrobiotic mm. food, little yoga in the morning, Jewish prayer. Mm. But when I asked them, "How do you decide how to make your synthesis between Judaism and and everything else?", they were mm. sort of embarrassed. No, 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 no. We're a chuba. We're we're penitents. We're newly religious. We're. I said, "Guys, you're much more creative than that. Give me a break." And I realized mm. i could do with them but i couldn't talk to them because they didn't want to reflect intellectually at all on what they were doing they just wanted to do it mm. and i enjoyed it but it wasn't fulfilling for me it was too intellectual on the east coast and it was not intellectual enough on the west coast and this great figure Reb Zalman Shachter shalomi uh who i heard of in both coasts and actually met on both coasts invited me to be part of a jewish spiritual community that would be like an ashram, but it would be the main language, the main focus would be Jewish in Winnipeg, Canada. Hmm. And I came to kind of the North point in the compass from the East and the West to Winnipeg, right in the middle of uh, North America, but pretty far North, pretty cold winters, you know, snow comes in the fall and doesn't melt till the spring. Hmm. And uh, I lived there for 17 years. He left and I stayed, but I, I very seriously became a student and then then what I discovered with him, basically, he laid all kinds of spiritual food out on the table. Mm. There are you know, the Jewish development in close to modern times that's closest to Sufism is Hasidism. That's the dynamic movement of discipleship to a master and music and dance and prayer and um, as well as teachings, also teachings by stories. Mm. And uh, in Hasidism, there are two currents that are powerful today. One is Chabad, Lubavitcher Hasidism, Hasidism, which uh, you rouse up your emotions and they can be very emotional. There's a Chabad synagogue right beneath my apartment here. (laughs) And they sing a lot, but basically you convince your intellect that Judaism is the true way and this is the true path. And Chabad kind of bridged the Zohar, the classic work of Kabbalah and the Rambam, the great Jewish philosopher, and kind of an amazing thing, an impressive thing intellectually, with a pretty intellect. And it never really spoke to me. Hmm. And Zalman would put out Chabad teaching on the table. And Zalman was very pluralistic within Judaism and also comparing traditions. So I learned some Chabad and I saw it didn't work for me. And then he put out some teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, hmm. And Rabbi Nachman gives your intellect a bit of a workout. He's not for simpletons, but hmm. he thinks to the heart. Hmm. Or what in Sufism we might call the creative imagination. Hmm. You know, if you know the book, Creative Imagination and the Sufism of Ibn Arabi. Hmm. The imagination is what gets it or doesn't get it. It's not logical proofs.
0: Hmm.
1: You, you have to get the feeling of it. Your heart has hmm. to understand it. Your intellect serves your heart. The point mm. your intellect serves your heart, and I discovered I belong to those guys where yeah. the intellect serves the heart. I have a very good intellect, but mm. I got to get it in the heart; otherwise, I don't get it. Mm. And so I'm um, I I, I, I fill with Reb Nachman's kind of teaching. And Reb Nachman, at the center of his universe, was the figure of the tzaddik of the spiritual master. Mm. In Sufism, we speak of Al Ansan al Kamil, the complete human being, and it's basically the same idea in Jewish mysticism. Uh, actually, the Baal Shem Tov used the term Ha-Adam HaShaleim, which means the complete human being. He was the man who inspired the whole Hasidic movement, but the usual Jewish term is the tzaddik, literally mm. the righteous human being, but meaning somebody who is a bridge, who is a channel between heaven and earth, between God and, and the creation. Mm. And, and the tzaddik is something you find, there are people like this, and it's possible mm. to study with them, and it's also a potential in each human being.
0: Hmm.
1: So those, those are the basic ideas I got from Rabbi Nachman. And I said, yes, hmm. I get it. I, I'm interested. When I went to study with Zalman, I was more looking for a community than I was looking for a teacher. But what I got from Rabbi Nachman was, uh, uh, oh, you need a spiritual master. Hmm. And I got a pretty clear description of how he functions, What you know, what it's like, what it's about, hmm. what to look for. In very jewish terms i answered the question of whether you know spirituality and judaism were were in you know conflict or whether it was one and the same i found a universal spiritual teaching in a very jewish expression and that relieved me that resolved that question mm. you don't have to choose between judaism and spirituality i found the theoretical teaching that spoke to me but now how do we put it into action how do we follow it and Reb Zalman was a wonderful teacher, but he was always comparing. He was very complex, he was very lavish. Hmm. And I was looking for something simple and deep, and I wasn't quite getting it there. Um, so instead of going to India to look for a guru, I came to Israel to look for maybe a Kabbalist, maybe a Hasidic rabbi, maybe some kind of Sufi. I didn't hmm. know. Hmm. Uh, I remember on the, on the flight over to Israel, I wrote in my notebook, uh about needing about coming to meet the dark side coming to meet the the rejected side and i didn't know what that meant Mm. Uh, i got here and i'll make a long story short i got uh, was introduced to somebody who supposedly knew all the gurus in israel Mm. and she recommended a hasidic rabbi in the school of rabbi Nachman. she recommended a zen roshi from japan who was living on the mount of olives Mm. and she recommended this uh, sufi sheikh. She said he's very, um, he's very, he, he seems quite powerful. He's also quite mm. traditional, but with your conservative Jewish background, maybe that won't be a problem. Mm. And I think I understood that has a double meaning. On the one hand, I'm not afraid of tradition. I love Jewish tradition. I'm open to other traditions. Tradition's not a problem for me. Mm. On the other hand, I'm never going to be an Orthodox Jew. We don't have to worry about you becoming a fanatical Orthodox Muslim that's, that's right. not we can trust you to go there and get something good from it and, and okay. so um, so he was the teacher I found. I could make a longer story, but let's let's just go to there at this point. Um, and uh, uh, one of the early conversations we was talking about distinguishing the place of God within yourself, in Mm. the place of the servant within yourself Mm. that made a lot of sense to me just that we need to be aware of that distinction it's it's not about the Mm. ego but god is within yeah Um, and the words jumped out of my my mouth but i want to serve god Mm. and he said yes beloved but the order not come Mm. But oh my god did i just say i wanted to be his student did did i say that Mm. and Okay. Uh, each time I came, I actually met another Jewish seeker on the way and brought him along with with me. And he mm-hmm. kind of expressed all the reservations. And they said, come again, but don't bring somebody this time. I said, I understand. Yeah. No problem. I came back. And CD received me very warmly. And he said, beloved, the order has come. You can come and you can stay. And you can walk station after station to be complete and more complete, mm-hmm. if you like if I like holy what, what do I do now so I said yes and um, he spoke about if anyone knows their religion well there will be one religion the religion of the love and the truth so I thought okay maybe I'm gonna learn Sufi discipline and count a rabbi you know I studied with a Buddhist teacher who used to call me the Buddhist rabbi he had no trouble with my being Jewish and incorporating my buddhism into my judaism it wasn't a satisfying path for me but you know th- there was no political issue between us at all you know he said just be a rabbi with awareness awareness that's hard yes <laughs> that's <laughs> and that, hard. He, he wasn't letting up you know that's the name of the game okay good so i thought you know i was introduced to islamic prayer mm. and as a spiritual practice it worked for me I had actually discovered spontaneously, I discovered prostration in my Buddhist. I did a three month retreat. And at one point when I was really desperate, I just lay myself on the floor and gave it all up to who is it? God, what is it? What are we? And I felt this channel open up in myself. I'm, oh, spiritual path really is within. Okay. And then I felt this little voice of guidance saying, Get up and continue your practice, your walking meditation. I thought, Oh, oh, I think I can trust that. That that so that was all my background that was in the fall of the spring that i went and met city sheikh muhammad so and the arabic most of it wasn't that difficult you know the unity sutra uh, uh i could translate into hebrew very easily um and there was a penetrating quality to the islamic prayer that i really appreciated um you know looking at the point where your head's gonna hit the carpet and yeah. staying yeah. focused so it was fine with me as a practice uh, but Friday nights, I'd still go out and watch the sunset and welcome the Sabbath bride and uh, it Didn't seem like I was converting from one religion to another it does seem like it did seem like I was practicing a Tradition that I have great respect for uh, and if, and, But I could never talk Zalman gave me a good Yiddish term to talk talkless to get down to earth to uh, Okay, bottom line, you know bottom line CD. I'm Jewish Can i be your student or not you know i'm not going to convert to islam i'm happy to do islamic prayer i'm happy to fast ramadan i make up the sabbaths and any holidays afterwards which is you know acceptable from an islamic point of view if you have to miss some days you may come up later um i was doing islamic prayer i was trying to get in my five prayers a day every day of the week not always making all five but i understand i'm in good company with lots of muslims who not everybody makes all five prayers you know maybe you do Mm -hmm. maybe you don't okay something to work with um and on the sabbath i prayed in hebrew i did the three big jewish prayers which and i thought about practicing you know doing eight prayers a day but then i thought hey i'm not that saintly i'm still running after women uh, Mm -hmm. um, eight times a day that that, that's not genuine there's a there's a, a role for the daily prayer and each tradition. So let's do five a day during weekdays and three Jewish prayers on Shabbat on Sabbath. And to me, it seemed to fit. And I never got the signal from CD that it was okay. On the contrary, he, we, we would sit down and he would talk about the perfect surrender, surrender to the perfect, you know, prophet. And anyway, I wasn't looking for perfection. I was looking for completion. That was a little. Mm-hmm problem and how we looked at things maybe, but I couldn't, you know, he would take you to a place where, where we were just in this field of love and the questions would all disappear. And then he would say, what was your question beloved? And I, oh, <laughs> so I couldn't, you know, say bottom line city, can I be your student and remain Jewish because it's, this isn't working. And I got more and more frustrated with the years instead of going deeper and deeper, it went very deep at the beginning. We were writing by hand these descriptions of the stations of the path. And I was experiencing at least a good part of what I was writing about. And it was mm. it was a tremendous initiation. I'm very grateful for it. But uh, it got more and more frustrating with the years. And um, I had friends in Boston who had a Sufi teacher in Vermont, Kabir Hamlinsky, who was a Meplevi sheikh. And he invited me when I was in Israel one time to come over to Turkey and mm-hmm. meet some sheikhs and some real dervishes. You know, we can talk about sheikhs and we can talk about being a dervish, but it's not just a matter of signing up. There, there's an art mm-hmm. to being a dervish. Not everybody who thinks they are is it's something you have, something to learn, something to encounter, something to... And I met some wonderful, wonderful people in Turkey. I felt, broadly speaking, very at home in the world of Turkish Sufism. I was not so satisfied with the Inayati Sufism in America. I was a little mm. too, a little too universal, a little too philosophical. Uh, the mm. perfection of love, harmony, and beauty didn't really speak to me. Uh, God speaks to me a little more than that. Um, but I felt very at home in the world of Turkish Sufism. Mm. And uh, back in, in in North America. Uh, Kabir invited me to a gathering at his place on the way of Navlana, way of Rumi. Mm. I see you have a whirling dervish on the wall behind you. Mm. Um, And uh, he had just published the autobiography of this wild, cantankerous Turkish character, Murat Jagan. And he sent me the copy of the book. He said, read the last chapter called What is Sufism? And Mm. I saw a serious. Approach to Sufism that in some sense had an objective aspect like from the Gurdjieff teaching or something but it also had warmth it had prayer it had love and it had a sense of humor which i had been lacking with my Sheikh. sense of humor mm. and, uh, and then he and Kabir let us know that the author of this book Murat Jagan would be at this gathering and I said oh this is the next step and it was and I became Murat's teacher I actually had a chance to show Murat a a copy of a teaching I translated from Rabbi Nachman about Mm -hmm. the role of the spiritual master. So he knew what I was looking for. Uh, I never had a chance like that with CD. And the years with Murat were not easy. Um, He was a very tough character, um, but there was lots of learning and lots of good fellowship with the other students. So he was first in Vancouver and then in Vernon, British Columbia. I was in Winnipeg, I had stayed in Winnipeg, so it made it, uh, you know, it was a long trip, but you know, 1,500 miles or something, Mm -hmm. but uh, within Canada at least. Uh, And he was uh, adjusting his teaching to the culture of North America. And at the same time, he himself had a very strong connection to Jesus, but he spoke in Sufi terms of Rabita, of point of contact. He didn't privilege jesus over other prophets or saints it was more a matter of finding a connection that mm. spoke to you because they're all connected anyway they're not in competition mm. and i uh, found a path um, so i really found a contemporary spiritual path with Murat. and i took it on myself we learned we, we i started a group in winnipeg which suited me well because i wasn't that personally attached to Moran, and he was a bit of a difficult character and I was very happy to have access to his teaching at a little bit of a distance and work with my own circle of friends uh, and learn how to become a teacher myself mm. it was a rocky road it was not easy um, but Mariah had a student under him who was the leader of the group and we had a wonderful relationship first mm. it was dr. Allen and then ultimately he couldn't stay with me than with somebody else named dr. Ralph Mattis but I had a very good friendship an older brother younger brother relationship with both of those Fellows, and uh, something I really appreciated I got from Marat. You know, he, he prepared that. Uh, so so the so I eventually took those tra- piles of transcripts of Marat's conversations with the group in Canada in British Columbia, and um, from my experience of which transcripts to present to the group, and both what was suggested from from the main group and from my own experience, uh, and from my experience doing my own translations of Rabbi Nachman, kind of how to edit Murat's words so that the meaning comes through, not so that you change the meaning, but just getting the obstacles out of the way. Um, I put together uh, a book of his teachings. Um, it was a huge project, but it was something I felt he doing. And ultimately I had a falling out with him and I was no longer his student. And even after I was no longer his student, he supported me. He encouraged me in making a new edition of his book. He said, uh, even if people steal my teachings, I just want to see that some good comes out of what, I'm, what I've done. So he that's somehow appreciated. We appreciated each other. Hmm. So let me pause there. That was a whole lot of ones. which should hmm. be a conversation. But uh, <laughs> 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 that's how I got into super. Oh, Zim- that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. What would you and like then to you
0: resettled, uh, Then you again resettled to Israel, or you started, uh, You went back to America?
1: No, so I, I was in Canada. Zalman left. I went to Canada study with Zalman. He left. It was a pretty comfortable New Year's. I was a Muslim Jewish Sufi. Hmm. Uh, Canada is a good place to be because they're so tolerant of cultures.
0: <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Hmm.
1: I remember i went to do some photocopying at the photocopy shop and it was a charismatic christian who ran the shop and he saw you know sufi jewish i said yeah i'm kind of both he said well sufism judaism that's about the prophets isn't it i said hmm. yes you got it <laughs> so, <laughs> we, this doesn't have to be an issue thank you thank you yes it's about the prophets wonderful yeah. yes so um so Canada was a good place to be. Hmm. Um, when I left CD, he kind of warned me. He, he set me free, but he said, in your own country, not in this country. And as it worked out, seven years after I left him, uh, I didn't go much to Israel except to visit my parents. Sometimes would lead the uh, services at their synagogue, especially for the high holidays. Hmm. But um, seven years later, I discovered, oh, I was. I went back to Rabbi Nachman. I wanted to bring forward his teaching about the tzaddik. Mm-hmm. I was working on a master's thesis at the mm-hmm. University in Canada. And I discovered really the creative scholar who I could sort of trust to help guide me into mm-hmm. a vision that would be authentic to the Jewish sources, but would not be kind of, I would say in Hebrew, barosh katan, mm-hmm. wouldn't be small-minded. Mm-hmm. Um Gershom Shalom, the big scholar before him, was a little bit too much involved in finding non-Jewish sources for, for mm-hmm. Judaism for Jewish mysticism, such as Gnosticism, etc. Then Jewish Gnostic scholars were talking about the Jewish sources of Gnosticism—gets a little confusing. Idel was very prepared to see Jewish sources of Kabbalah. He wasn't—he wasn't allergic to non-Jewish sources, but he was very ready to see the Jewish sources. And I felt he was a scholar I could trust and I could apprentice with. And I took a course with him in, in New York, in the same seminary where my dad had graduated as a rabbi, took a summer course with Edel, And he invited me to follow him to Jerusalem, which is what I had in mind kind of. And I came to Jerusalem and went to study at the Hebrew University and immersed myself in you know, studying Kabbalah in Hebrew. It was very challenging academic study my hebrew was good but not that good my i'm better at reading texts than i am in modern hebrew or i was at that time mm-hmm. um but uh i came to israel and i found myself very at home here once i was here i came as a student but it was like i'm not going anywhere i'm home um mm-hmm. uh, being a sufi who keeps the sabbath you know my bookstore in canada i had to apologize to my you know my partners i had two partners One of them said, you know, you're not that good with the ordering and the business end of stuff, but you're very good with the customers. Mm. Saturday is the day of hanging out with the customers. Why don't you work on Saturdays? And I was like, Mm. No, it's Shabbat, man. There's no way. I don't Mm. work on Shabbat. Mm. And that was a bit uncomfortable. And I wanted to live where I could keep Shabbat in an authentic way that wasn't pulling against the fabric of my culture because my Mm. Sufism somehow said something about appropriateness, even my secular Mm. Sufism from Iran of, you know, fitting your culture, not imposing mm. your religious thing on it. And in Jerusalem on Shabbat, everybody relaxes. Mm. The majority of people in Jerusalem don't drive their cars. If you do, it's mm. okay. Uh, people walk in a relaxed way and you can wish strangers on the street Shabbat Shalom. Mm. You can wish the Arabs in, the, in, 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 in mm. the delicatessen Shabbat Shalom and they take it as a good wish for the weekend. we will say Shabbat Shalom right back. It's not a problem. and. Some sort of the Jewish part of me could come out of a closet in Israel. And I also had the idea of bringing the Sufi teaching that I found in Canada to Israel.
0: Mm.
1: And maybe it would be a bridge between Jews and Christians and Muslims. Mm. And I became, I came to understand fairly quickly once I came to Israel that that's not the first frontier. That's mm-hmm. not where the peace has to begin. The peace has to begin between secular and religious people within Israel. And then maybe that will open doors also with our neighbors. But I understood, you know, there's a piece to begin between Tel Aviv, you know, the secular capital and Jerusalem, the religious capital of Israel. And uh, and after, you know, as I was a graduate student and uh, helped work with friends, we created an alternative Jewish study center. Um, but. Uh, after seven years, it's sort of, uh, well, we say in Hebrew, the Asimon drop, that we used to have coins you put in the phone. <laughs> mm. Mm. I don't have an expression like that in English, but I got I got it, I got the point. I and mean, mm. just that I, I've i been running a spiritual bookstore in Canada. This could be my contribution to life in Jerusalem, A store mm. with no ax to grind. We're not trying to convert. We're not trying to make secular people religious. Mm. Um, we are trying to give non-religious people access to good spiritual perspectives on Judaism access to you know Jewish spirituality and at the mm-hmm. same time give Jewish people Rumi and access to good Sufi sources and mm-hmm. yoga and Buddhism and we're certainly not involved with who should win the war Buddhism or yoga we're not involved mm-hmm. with you know Judaism or Sufism either it's all there and mm-hmm. I'm fairly interested I'm very interested and fairly knowledgeable. So you can talk mm. to me about all these kinds of things and new mm. age okay mm. and uh and it was a great vocation mm, that's not, that's, not to be a very easy way to make a living but it was a great mm. vocation in terms
0: of yeah um, i have i heard it. that israel is a very expensive place to live in oh boy <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 rent is uh very high uh mm
0: food, density. property prices are very high, rent is very high.
1: Yeah, I got lucky. Uh, as I approached a retirement age, which is 67 for men in this country, 65 for women. Uh, mm-hmm. I was researching these things. And uh, for the last year and a half, I've had a one room studio apartment mm-hmm. in a uh, kind of retirement home for for uh, immigrants from overseas in Israel. Eighty-five mm. percent of the people in this building are Russian speakers. It's a little mm. bit strange for me. Uh, there's a French-speaking woman across the hall. Uh, there's uh, one or two English speakers actually in the building. Uh, mm. But the, the the shared language is Russian. There's a Chabad synagogue right beneath me. But I have a beautiful view of the Arab village ne- nearby right out my window. Mm. I see the minarets of two mosques and I hear the call to prayer and uh, beautiful trees and gardens all around and a wonderful place to sit and write which is what i want to be doing i still have to put all my books away Uh, it's taken me a while but uh, um, so i have a very reasonable place very inexpensive Um, so i've been given a certain respect as i guess an elder in the community Um, similarly uh, i was very lucky with this I took the old ottoman railroad station in Jerusalem the first station which is near the the neighborhood where i had my bookstore which is a very mm-hmm. pluralistic neighborhood where you'll find holistic healing and yoga classes and alternative synagogues which is very important creative synagogues uh and synagogues that are very welcoming to christians and muslims if they mm-hmm. should want to join mm-hmm. us for prayer and um uh, i located my 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 bookstore in that location it took took some studying Jerusalem to understand you put in the wrong neighborhood and Mm. you'll have problems with the ultra Orthodox neighbors there's Mm. no question about it Uh, I found the right neighborhood and uh, uh, all kinds of people put their notices up on my bulletin board for holistic healing and uh, things like that Mm. and uh, and similarly this uh, train station which has become a place of restaurants and um, craft stores and stands and stalls and things like that um as became a first i was in a large bar that didn't work out so well uh Mm. but then i was given a booth that kind of closes up at night and i can play Mm. my music Mm. and put out a table and display my favorite books and have the other books in the stall Mm. and uh and uh have a view of the sunset every day so it's quite quite lovely by the old uh railroad station a bike path right in front of my my store so uh, mm. <gasps> Hashem, do you
0: know one thing yakub that uh, we pakistanis we don't recognize israel and uh, uh-huh. we, we don't have any diplomatic ties with israel but still we have a sufi property in jerusalem in israel huh. yeah there is a place of baba farid of pakpatan ever heard of it yeah the the biggest one of the biggest uh, Sufi sheikh whose shrine is is in Pakistan in Pakpatan. Uh, so he he uh, had a wonderful place there. It was known as uh, the Chilaga of Baba Farid in Jerusalem. So we Pakistani we do have a Sufi property there. And on nice. yeah, come visit. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll not only come and visit, I'll claim the ownership of that property for sure. Pakistanis <laughs> because right now Indians are taking care of that property.
1: Oh, well, you have and your own right. issue there, I suppose, yes.
0: <laughs> we have we have a love and hate relationship between uh, right. the, uh, the India and Pakistan, so it it goes on. But <clears throat> tell me, Yakub, uh, as as you are now having a book sh- shop which is a spiritual kind of bookshop, has a uh, ju- uh, Jewish uh, spiritual section, Kabbalah section, Sufi section and what are the trends of youth nowadays? are they going towards are, are they keen to learn about Sufism, Sufi literature?
1: yes. There's ongoing interest in Sufism. That's my that's project funny. came up as a surprise. I'm, I have my own English translation. I've worked with a Turkish friend on Yunus Emre. Yeah, um, my beloved poet. That's my favorite poet. And uh-huh. listed um, you know, and kind of coming after Rumi. Literally, he was probably probably studied with Rumi, not as his Sheikh, but in a literary sense, studied with Rumi. Mm. Mm. Um, but uh, stuck to Turkish instead of going to Persian Uh, and more down-to-earth and kind of a shamanic Mm. vision that I think comes out of Central Asian shamanism that the Turks carried with them that maybe as a Native American, somebody born in America, I kind of resonate with, you know, Mm. which is -hmm. beautiful, Mm. part of the spiritual vision. Anyway, um, I thought I should be working on that. And this young Israeli guy doesn't call me up. He sends me an email. He says, I just translated um, The Gift, the big book by uh, Coleman Barks of Poetry Mm. of Peace. He says, are you interested in publishing it? Mm. I say, well, um, send me some poems. Actually, I avoided it for a couple of weeks during during Mm. the closure when we were all in uh, what do you call it in English we do it we're all shut down hmm. I can't get by on one language anymore I need two languages you know that's what happens when you live in a place like this but uh, uh, I sort of ignored it for a couple of weeks and then something kept bugging me and saying take a look at this guy's email and hmm. I wrote him back I said you have some poems and he sent me some poems and they were great yep. I love them yep. in Hebrew you know his translations hmm. and um we turned out we had a lot of work to do to continue editing them a bit mm. and polishing them a bit. And uh, inshallah, in the next week or two, I'm, you know, I'm going to the printer, we're gonna come out with a book
0: in That's Hebrew,
1: the gift of Huffies. That's, so wonderful. That's that wonderful. just an example. He was motivated. He came mm. from a religious background. He speaks in his introduction of some basic Kabbalistic concepts such as mm. There is no place uh, mm. vacant of him. There's no place where God's presence is not. God's presence mm. is everywhere. Uh, and Hasidic idea of veikut of you're like ish. It's like glue. It's like you're sticking yeah. yourself to God. Your attachment to God. And he, but he found these accessible in Hafiz and not, mm. you know, kind of part of a complex mm. religious fabric. That speaks to him, so he's an example of an is, and is actually one who is still a bit in touch with his religious roots, has yeah. left the practice of of Judaism behind, mm. but has a spiritual search and inclination. Mm. And just as I feel personally that Eunice is a friend of mine on the path, he has found that kind of relationship, personal relationship with Hafiz. Beautiful, mm. I support it. Lovely. Mm. Yeah, I uh, can make a living you know publishing this this is great this is the kind of service i want to do so um that's just an example there's yeah. a sufi festival in israel every year it had to be canceled this year because of the virus but a yeah. thousand israelis get together and hear a little bit about sufi teaching hear a lot of sufi music um i i both lecture there and i set up a book stall there and sell books and there's a lot of mm-hmm. so there is there is interest and it makes sense there's there's, look there's spiritual interest the jewish people have had a relationship with god for what is it three mm-hmm. four thousand years for heaven's sakes you know it's pretty mm-hmm. deep in our blood in our the cells mm-hmm. of our bible mm-hmm. um, we have a dialectical relationship with our religion mm-hmm. um uh you want to call it love hate i would say it's more you know there's love and there's resistance to mm-hmm. too much outward orthodoxy and you know um but people are searching for what's behind that, and mm. there there's always been there's a mm. I think the new age has kind of gone down a bit, but there's interest in yoga, there's interest in Buddhism and meditation, mm. and that continues. Mm. And there's this strong attraction to Sufism because it's monotheistic, it's simple, mm. it's mm. about one God, mm. it's more about divinity than God as a person, mm. maybe that makes sense. The Quran already does some of that transition from a personal mm. to an impersonal sense of God. Mm. And not everybody's aware that it's even connected to Islam. Part mm. of my role as an educator, mm. the way I see it is like this you know, if if uh, I don't mind if non Jews get interested in Kabbalah, I'm happy mm. to see that. But mm. I want them to give respect that this is a Jewish tradition, this is a sacred yeah. part yeah. of Judaism. I imagine our Muslim neighbors feel should feel the same way. They should be willing to share the essence of Sufism with with with, with non-Muslims, but they mm. want the Islam to be respected. It grew up through Islam. It's mm. an expression of Islam It should be respected. Mm. Yeah. As part of my role as a publisher is just to put in that reminder, uh, let people be aware that this is mm. this is the tradition, and it's also in a hope. Mm that our neighbors, instead of, you know, feeding their identity by anti-Zionism, hmm. can feed their identity by being proud of their Sufi heritage. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, your Jewish neighbors, a lot of us admire that. You should be hmm. proud of that. You might even teach us something about that. We're interested. Hmm. Can, can, can we can we communicate about these things? Maybe we can be friends. Maybe we can share something. Maybe there's yeah. a reason we're together in the Middle East, you know. Hmm. So. I think maybe that's
0: somewhere you wanted to go. But okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I know. I was. I was just uh, thinking about you, uh, Eunice. Uh, today, uh, th- there is basically a TV, television series has made by uh, Turkish television.
1: Right. Uh, Netflix. Uh, yeah,
0: uh, yeah, I guess Netflix or somewhere. But uh, we got that television uh, television series in Pakistan translated in Urdu. And today the Prime Minister of Pakistan recommended people who are having uh, interest in Sufism that they should uh, watch that series in Urdu. Mm. So uh, Pakistan is a Sufi country with a Sufi orientation, with a Sufi uh, oriented uh, leadership, political leadership. And I guess uh, as as I advocate uh, all the time that uh, Sufi diplomacy is the need of the time. Like you rightly mentioned, that there are so many common grounds between Sufi communities uh, on uh, both part of uh, our, our worlds. That, uh, like in your country, in my country, if we want to seek a common ground, Sufism perhaps the first one. Yes. Where you and me, we can sit together very comfortably. We can have our. Uh, by the way. Uh, one of uh, our common friend, Dr. Ba- uh, Michael Brack, he told me the story about the coffee that it was a Sufi drink yes. it is still a Sufi drink so we can, we both Sufis can sit together we can uh, share the Sufi drink coffee together and we can open our hearts to one another and that's yes. where the relationship starts to uh, we can start building the relationship and that's yes. how People go forward.
1: Do you know the Sufi story about coffee?
0: Yeah, he told me. He told me, but I would love to hear from you as well.
1: Okay. Well, it, I heard it from the
0: shadowy uh,
1: tariqat, which was the, yeah. the tariqat of my first sheikh, chef, chef Sidi. Mm. There was the shepherd uh, discovered these uh, berries that his mm. sheep were eating. Mm. Uh, I think Sidi told us the story that these these sheep, they eat the berries and they jump. Mm. So they, he came to the Prophet Muhammad. Is this, uh, was it to the Prophet Muhammad or was it to the sheikh? He came to the sheikh. Yeah, because it's later than Muhammad. He comes yeah. to the sheikh and he says, is this um, Mina Allah or is this Mina Shaitan? Mm. And the sheikh says, okay, thank you for your question. I will, I will pray on this. I will ask. Mm. And he took the, the jar with coffee beans and he put it under his head as he went to sleep that night. And he dreamt of the Prophet Muhammad. And in the tradition, if you dream of Muhammad, it is Muhammad. The shaitan mm. can't take the form of the Prophet. Yeah. And the Prophet comes and he says, take these beans and cook them, make a beverage for your dervishes so they can stay up all night and zikrullah." Allah. Mm. So that's the um, kosher stamp of the Prophet Muhammad. I guess <laughs> like halal stamp on coffee. Good yeah. uh, for zikr. Yeah. A good thing.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very good thing. And the day I came to know that it's a Sufi drink, I started loving coffee. Otherwise, I used to say that I don't like coffee and Kufi. Kufis refer referring to the Karbala issue. The people of Kufa, that ah, I okay. I don't like Kufis and I don't like coffee as well. Okay. But yeah. now I love coffee because I it's really a Sufi drink. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it is interesting uh, to know about the present it's, culture. Uh, pre- present culture. I said it is interesting to know about the present culture of uh, Sufism in uh, Jerusalem and in Israel. Uh, what about this yoga kind of trend? It is, you know, it is now in. It is very in. People are very much into yoga things. Like in seventies, there was a hippie culture. So people used it, yeah. to, yeah, in 70s, they used to enjoy their freedom with the the slogans and with the, they synchronized their freedom with the hippies. So now well, people synchronized their health care or uh, somehow their exercise routine with the yogaism. Well, for so, some of us,
1: this is not new. Uh, I started yeah. doing a little bit of Hatha Yoga in the morning back in the 70s.
0: Uh, that's right.
1: It stayed with me through my whole life. So mm. there, are, there are many of us, and I, I know people who are more serious about yoga than I am. It's not my main mm. tradition, spiritual tradition, but a little bit of yoga. Now I'm having trouble with my my arm, so I'm I'm not doing it so much. But it's been with me for many, many years. So mm. yeah, these are basic things.
0: So people um, are now going towards yoga as well. The young young people i don't know I, I
1: i don't have a way as much as measuring that i don't have a store now i don't um who was it there were a couple of russian women came by my store yesterday and bought a book about uh buddha and love hmm. um, there is interest in the eastern traditions there remains interest uh, i'm not sure it's a growing thing that i can tell you about the sufi festival because it happens every year it didn't happen this year but it's happened for like
0: 100, 100.
1: year after year after year a thousand israelis <laughs> come interested they've all heard of Rumi. they've heard of something like that whirling dervishes mm-hmm. and they have some attraction some interest in sufism mm. and uh, uh, so this is part of you know
0: that's one i would love to be culture. part of that festival as soon as this uh, covert scene gets off and uh, we will be back in normal life. I would love to be a part of that festival.
1: Yeah, I have to say Mm. we had some Arab Sufi friends who used to come, Mm. but because it's an Israeli festival, Mm. that means women dancing uh, in sort of a provocative way. Some of them. Mm. Uh, and the festival people didn't want to at all make people uncomfortable how they dress or how they dance. Mm. So we kind of lost our Arab Muslim, most of our Arab Muslim, you know, participants because mm. mm. it's not modest enough. So that's mm. it's a factor away. But if mm. you're interested in talking with Israelis who are interested in Sufism, mm. um, that's a great place. It's a great platform. And uh, some traditional musicians come from other countries. Mm. Uh, It's an interesting scene. uh, Mm. uh, Gil Ron Shema is one of the organizers, and he's been involved in the building bridges between Israeli culture and Sufism and other things for many years. So Mm. it's interesting.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm very thankful, Yakub, that you have spared your time. And we had some technical issues and this podcast and got late for almost one one hour. And still, uh, you joined us. I'm really thankful for your participation in this podcast and uh, giving time and being with us. And hope to see you soon.
1: Good. Do we have a little more time or we need to wrap up now?
0: Uh, we have almost ten minutes. If you want to share something, oh. you're
1: yeah. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little more about Yunus Emre.
0: Yeah, please, please go ahead. Yeah, yeah,
1: because Yunus Emre is, top is top a top very top. interesting. Yeah. Talking yeah. about bridging secular and religious, yeah. I actually read recently that, that the Ottoman government made a decision to sort of promote Yunus Emre, even though they were suppressing Sufism in the early 20th century. Mm. Um, but Yunus has been made a hero of both the secular. And the religious in Turkey mm. certainly mm. and I took an interest for, from a bit of an academic point of view can we view this objectively mm. What is does Yunus advocating mm. and I found an interesting um, complex picture that he's mm. he has poems you know celebrating getting up at dawn for the dawn prayer and feeling alone with God Mm. Beautiful poem about that, but he also has poems where he really lashes out against people imposing the five pillars of Islam on other people. Mm. Doesn't like that. He doesn't like imposing five prayers a day on other people. Doesn't think people should be doing that, mm. uh, and says it in very strong language. And I think if you're looking for an essential Sufism that is that affirms. The essence of Islam, but also is mm. critical of people imposing religion on other people. Mm. You find that in Unisemery, mm. um, mm. and uh, so I think I think he he actually is a key. He has a key for over helping us overcome the schizophrenia between mm. being overly religious or overly secular, yeah. and getting a communication between those two sides within ourselves. First of all, each person mm. in their own way and within our culture. And that's part of the reason I've, you know, I've, I've published his teachings in, in Hebrew. Um, that's cool. A friend of mine translated, and I made mm-hmm. sure to publish it. And uh, I actually made an edition of his book in English. Is this it here? And uh, no, this is the Hebrew one. Mm-hmm. Just it here for a second. And the English one, oh, that's the old edition of the Hebrew way. Hey, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the English one, uh, I sold out. I just printed them in, in Israel and I sold, you know, a few hundred copies in English. But uh, I need to do a new edition and uh, get it out on the Internet. And, and, you know, you can do that these days without a lot of money if you can position yeah. things right? Uh, I really need to get my Yunus Emre book out there. Now, one of the things I learned Murat used to tell these Diktashi Turkish Sufi folk tales about Yunus Emre. Hmm. And I came to understand that they're beautiful stories, they're very interesting stories. They give you a lot of insight into Turkish Sufism. And most hmm. of them are not historically likely. Hmm. Like in New Testament scholarship, what's convenient for the church, they say, is suspect. What's not convenient for the church is very likely to be authentic in the Gospels. Hmm. Well, too many of these stories are, are too convenient for the Bektashis. And it looks like there was a kind of competition, a friendly competition between the Bektashis hmm. and the Motlevis which from my Jewish point of view, hmm. wonderful. That's like Midrash, we have different interpretations of the stories and you yep. tell yours and I tell mine and the audience yep. decides. it's not theology. We don't kill each other over this. We kind of uh, have fun with it. And they've been yeah. doing that in Turkey for a long time. It's wonderful.
0: Hmm.
1: So um, I haven't watched much of the Netflix series on Eunice Emery, but it seems very far from this literature actually. I don't know where they, they got Eunice Emory as, as an educated judge, that doesn't make sense mm. to me. He was a simple person. Mm. Uh, and the, the tales that are told me may, may overdo his simplicity, but I don't think he was an educated person the way Rumi Rumi was, a product mm. of the academic world of Islam in his time. And he was yeah. a, basically a madrasa professor, he was a college professor. Eunice yeah. was not like that, mm. but he didn't know a lot of Arabic and Persian because it worked its way into his Turkish. Mm. So it's an interesting. He wasn't just a country bumpkin either. Mm. Uh, so these questions interest me. You know, getting at who really was Yunus Emre, who was the historical mm. Yunus Emre, and mm. what can he teach us about finding harmony between the religious and the uh, modern aspects of ourselves mm. uh, in the mirror of this Sufi friend of God. Mm. So uh, I love that.
0: That's great. That's great. And that's an ins- inspiring character, know, Emmerich. That's a very inspiring character. So, Jakub, uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for your participation in this podcast, being my guest in this podcast, and hope to see you soon.
1: Good. Let's stay in touch and uh, maybe we'll think of some more questions and go a little deeper.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Okay. Thank you for inviting me all the way from Pakistan.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you it was wonderful it was wonderful to have you thank you and stay blessed okay thank you and i welcome you
1: to jerusalem whenever you can make it here surely very soon surely very soon and all of our friends um you know when when things are normal we have we have arab pilgrims of course come to jerusalem Mm. in the in the first station which was originally built by the ottoman turks we Mm. have lots of uh muslims and christian visitors and jews all mingling and enjoying themselves and uh and uh, we actually have a, a large tent with mm. a picture of people in the mosque they pose but mm. uh uh christian and a muslim and a jew and uh, african and all different cultures and with the quotation from uh the hebrew prophet my house shall be a house of prayer for all people mm. so this is this is the vision that is being held very much at the first station, and uh, mm. it's a place where all kinds of people can feel comfortable. And it's just uh, down the hill from there to the old city, mm. the Temple Mount, and yeah, it's beautiful. Jerusalem is wonderful. It's a
0: yeah, it's wonderful. It is one it's, of the wonderful. It's a cities.
1: picture of the greater whole, and just yeah, it's a small picture in the heart. Yeah, yeah. okay. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Good. God bless.
0: Take care. Bye bye. Bye-bye.